0: Hey Anna, on a scale of one to like a thousand, how much are you into true crime? I'm like five thousand. That's what I was thinking. I'm not
1: proud of it, but I am really. Yeah,
0: so you're following the stuff pretty closely.
1: All the stuff, all the all of the podcasts. Yeah.
0: What what's what's your kind of go to? What's your favorite? (sighs)
1: Jeez. I mean, you got Crime Junkie, you got Morbid, you got Case File, you've got Making or um, not Making a Murderer. That's a that's a TV show. Oh, TV show. Um, you know, uh, my favorite murder. I mean, I, I listen to. An, an alarming amount. Crime lines. I mean, geez. You know which one's missing? Which one? Crimes in space. <laughs> oh, God. Shouldn't there be a crime space, Actually, uh, space crime thing? Maybe like a Sure. I'll say yes. <laughs> I think you're really into this. So I'm going to say yeah. I mean, it's but very. Crimes in l- science.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I think we might be talking about that here shortly. Uh, imagine that. I can't imagine. But, yeah, I mean, there's crimes in space. I mean, right now there's only a few people that can actually commit those crimes. So <laughs> yeah, it'd be kind, like kind of a, a limited limited thing. That'd be a
1: short-run podcast.
0: But, I mean, think about, yeah, these long space missions in the mm-hmm. future where people are isolated for years at a time with no repercussions, no, you know,
1: what
0: what keeps what keeps society together?
1: Yeah. Don't,
0: Those laws are they gonna be governed by. I mean, I when I listen too much to true crime, I really doubt humanity. I mean don't yeah, you know, that's the thing. It's like can we actually do this? Can we go into space and trust <sighs> each other?
1: No. No. <laughs> oh sorry, was that hypothetical? Was that was that rhetorical? I'm that so a, sorry.
0: That was a fast answer. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> From our studios here at Cincinnati Public Radio, I'm Dean Regis, and this is Looking Up.
1: And I'm Anna Heeman. We're both from the oldest public observatory in the United States, the Cincinnati Observatory, where we get to share the wonders of the universe with thousands of people every year. And now we're doing the same through this podcast. We talk to astronauts and scientists, authors all kinds of colorful characters about topics in astronomy and space science. And our guest today is author Sam Keane. He'll be joining us to discuss his new book, The Ice-Pick Surgeon, Murder, Fraud, Sabotage, Piracy, and Other Dastardly Deeds Perpetrated in the Name of Science. That book title is a lot to take in. I know. Scientists Who behaving knew? badly? What this That's impossible.
0: That, I'm a I mean, like... <laughs> There's some. You're horrified. Well, and plus, I mean, to be that, like, uh, you know, to 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 be a a criminal mastermind, I mean, like, some scientists I know. No offense. It's good they have Uh Velcro shoes. I mean, like, (laughs) there's some certain things that scientists. Oh no, we're gonna get angry emails.
1: I mean, I I wear ties, lace up shoes. uh,
0: I would, you know, I wish Velcro shoes look cooler. I would totally (laughs) wear those. But anyway, um, yeah, it's it's, there's there is this little branch of people that take their science too much, you know, (laughs) like they go a little too far with things. And uh, I actually can see it. Yeah, I mean,
1: I, I get it. No? Is that like? I
0: think there's there's like this little slippery slope towards it. It's right. like, like well, okay, if I do it this way, it's more efficient. You yeah. know, I want to get these certain results, then, but you can't lose your humanity. That's for sure. But
1: if you're like, I think of science as like non emotional, like I'm focused on facts and truth, and there's an nobility to what I'm doing, you know? So I could do- totally see some like justifications made, if yeah. you will. I mean, are you. Into the true crime space, can we get real? I mean, am I should be worried about you? First of all, no, with science and no, crime, because no. you're in that realm. Okay. No, no, I I know that I like don't try to cr- talk it's me.
0: talk like I say the word humans as if it's the third person, but I do know I am I'm a human. I do know that you know that. that you're part of this. I'm aware of that. So, um, but. Yeah, I think that oh, there is. The, uh, I you know the one thing that I would say is that yeah, uh, there's this reputation that scientists are these like cold, like robotic yeah. creatures, and you know they, they're you know men and women of science, and right you know, there's some real characters. Like I mean, there's yeah. some people that like get super into it and like emotional and like. And so, uh, yeah, there, there's a big gamut, I think, with this. So, that's fair. So I know I just said that they have trouble tying their shoes, but they're also... I, I like... heard that as well.
1: <laughs> I'm all... also laughing because I had an uncle who was a biology professor and he wore a Velcro shoes.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> he actually did wear Velcro shoes. There's some, there's some that match. It's not about yeah. that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> he was very smart. Um, so we're, ta- we're going to talk about some of these, you know, science crimes, if you will. Um what about what's a science crime like do you have any like space ish crimes specific uh, to space and astronomy that have, you want to you want to talk about today I have one that's a little
0: vexing to me and Uh-oh. it's it's one of Here those that it's like like I had, I you know this is where I think the the harsh hammer of justice should come down <laughs> on some people you know like oh man so the the story is that mm-hmm. there was a uh, a NASA intern Not that long ago, that he actually
1: stole moon rocks from NASA, like took them out of the vault, took them home. What intern gets access to the moon? I'm sorry, NASA. I'm not blaming the victim here. What?
0: (laughs) Yes. Uh, So uh, a fella named Thad Roberts. Oh, um, you're going to name
1: names. Okay. um, Oh, yeah. I
0: mean, he's, you know, he went to jail. (laughs) So I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, uh, he uh, and and a few others kind of hatched this plot to, 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 pilfer these moon rocks. And basically, wow. he was working at one of the NASA facilities, and he was seeing where they were storing all this stuff, this very precious, valuable things that you know, the astronauts brought back from the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, these are like national treasures. You, you know, individual can possess them. They, you huh? can't trade them, buy them, sell them. Yeah, even have them. Uh, and Goodness. he saw how they were stored, and he just thought, well, I could take some, and nobody <laughs> would know.
1: Are you serious? Yeah. Like they would. Did you know anything about scientists and the catalog things?
0: Well, apparently there was a there was a glitch in the system where he thought, okay, I could get these. Nobody'll know they're gone, or if they do figure out they're gone, they'll be so embarrassed that they won't like track me down.
1: That's an interesting angle.
0: Yeah, and that's well that was the the last part of that was the wrong part. Is yes, oh. they will track you down and they will get you. <laughs> because Yikes. the Space value, Police. The, yeah, the value of those moon rocks is is crazy. So now there's various stories about this and it was written up into a well I'll put air quotes around a Uh-oh. non fiction book about this. Uh oh. Um, I'm, I'm not even I'm not even going to use the name of this book because <laughs> it I don't want to I don't even I don't want you even to go read you won't it. dignify no, it no no but it, oh lord it was, he's getting, he's getting it agitated was, everybody was quote unquote documented
1: in this quote unquote book okay you don't do the quotes every time I get <laughs> okay. it we get it right. but, can, the word book it is a book you don't have to use well, air quotes around book it's well, a, it is a book I suppose if you put
0: a few words on a piece of paper it counts <laughs> so oh, um, dang so uh, apparently he part of the scheme was he wanted to get the moon rocks for his girlfriend to impress her and and oh, to, man. you know, like kind of like shower her with these things kind of things and, and and various other things.
1: Right. We won't, we'll just, you know, so, for, the, for the kids at home, we'll just uh, other things with the moon rocks. That's right. So
0: basically he got caught when he tried to sell them. So he actually might Wait, have gotten away with it. If he didn't oh, try to sell okay. them eventually,
1: so he's like impressing his girlfriend, but then he's gonna go get his payday. Well, he's like, well, I
0: guess that that was that. I took yeah. care of that. So she's right, not she's, it, imp- she's not impressed anymore. <laughs> <laughs> At least I get some money out of it. I mean, yeah. so he uh, he puts he, he sells them or tries to sell them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the dealer who who he was communicating with saw red flags all over this and said, Well, where did this guy get these moon rocks? This isn't right. Nobody has moon rocks. It's
1: I wonder so, they looked like.
0: Yeah. He alerts the FBI. They, you know, get him in a sting. He goes to jail and all this stuff. I mean, so oh my gosh. the moon rocks were returned, but because they were taken out of the facility, then they were contaminated. You couldn't study <sighs> them. They were ruined for scientific investigation. And that so, actually annoys me. Yeah. yeah. We
1: don't have like, a, like an unlimited supply of moon rocks around here.
0: Yeah. So, oh, man. Uh, yeah, so he uh, he got his uh, his punishment, um, and uh, that is the only one that we know of that anybody tried to steal moon rocks. And he succeeded to a certain extent, but then got oh, caught in gosh. the end.
1: I know. I just remember wondering, when we got some moon rocks NASA let us borrow. That was like... I mean, I mean, obviously, not, I mean, in the in the, remember that? Oh yeah,
0: oh, I, was... trust me, I have to sign away my life if yeah. I check. So I, I I had to go through a training uh, to yeah. to be able to borrow moon rocks from NASA, and then have to get it all certified. Um, it's
1: like a handcuff briefcase. Situation. Yeah, was. You a, know what I'm talking bl- about? Yeah, the briefcase
0: comes, and if I lose them. Uh, you know if you if you didn't see me coming to work the next day that's what happened they they took me out you, you and
1: thad are hanging out me and
0: thad will be be oh my like God. yeah what happened to you yeah, i tried to sell moon rocks what happened to you i lost the case I they gave me
1: the <laughs> oh my gosh that's crazy but they're what well, they're so special though i mean oh, from yeah. the moon that's yeah. like right
0: there's there's only a few pieces like that's around crazy. um there's one other quick story that i'll tell like uh-huh. that that I don't know what you'll think about this one because we haven't Uh-oh. we haven't talked about this. Oh, it, oh my god, I love it. There was a story about somebody, um, a, a, an author friend of mine told me the story about this time where somebody gave somebody a moon rock, a real teeny tiny. I mean, super okay. tiny. And their reaction was, they ate it. <gasps> they just they were just like, oh, thanks for this, and gulp and ate they it. They knew what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They know. And their reason was like, well, now it's part of me. I have the moon inside of me. I want oh to God. see your reaction. She's flabbergasted.
1: That I. Don't. is... I, isn't, isn't it poetic? Or? I can make a whole lot of stuff about me. And I can really... I, I think... But that is making things about... That is, like, self-centered to a... Also, was it a toddler? Because that I could actually see. <laughs> I could forgive that. Like, I'm just going to eat this because it's I got it in my hands. I mean, that's... No, you know, my kids were eating an acorn yesterday. So it it's was like, a, I get it. But a moon rock. It was an adult. A human adult. <laughs> <laughs> and they, it was, like, that... I. Well, what a very I, big What rock. Did they – What? Oh, I can't make a sentence because this is so upsetting. So they were just like – and then they just – that was fine and they just had a rock yeah, in yeah. them or whatever. And yeah. then they were like, thanks for the moon rock. Yep. So What I, even is the world? What What is up with people? I don't know, but I'm going to write a quote-unquote book about it. <laughs> oh, snap. Regis coming back for the long jam on the book. Quote-unquote. Oh, my gosh. I love it.
0: Well, we are super excited to have author Sam Keane join us today. He's going to be telling us all about his new book, The Ice-Pick Surgeon, Murder, Fraud, Sabotage, Piracy, and Other Dastardly Deeds Perpetuated in the Name of Science. We're talking about scientists going bad. Well, Sam, thanks so much for talking with us today. This is really exciting talking about your new book. Uh, I don't usually associate scientists with criminal masterminds. what what kind of story got you started on this theme for your book?
2: It was a couple of stories. I guess I don't remember which one exactly first piqued my interest, but I've always had an interest in true crime stuff. I think there's sort of a lurid fascination with it, which is why true crime is usually such a popular genre. And I write about science in my books. And this idea, like you said, that there were kind of scientific criminal masterminds out there got me really interested. And there were a couple aspects in particular that I was very interested in. One of them was sort of the psychology behind it. And, you know, what differentiates a scientific criminal from a regular run-of-the-mill criminal? Like, could I go into their mindset and really understand what made them tick? And the other thing that really fascinated me was that the people in the book were all committing crimes in the name of science. That is, they were so obsessed with some topic or idea that they just went way too far in pursuing it and started trampling ethical boundaries and even committing crimes in the name of science. And usually that pursuit of knowledge is a good thing. It's what drives scientists and makes us curious about the world. But in this case, they twisted that drive into something bad or even evil, I think, in some cases. And sort of that mix of something that's usually so good being turned towards such a bad end, I just really found fascinating and just started collecting stories like these.
0: And it wasn't necessarily they were, you know, the ends would justify the means kind of thing. They, they weren't like going to make things better. They were really, they were, they were really nefarious things happening.
2: In some cases, yeah, there were pretty nefarious things going on. I mean, the obvious examples are, say, the Nazi experiments on prisoners in World War II. But in some cases, I think that, yeah, they did actually have good intentions at the start. And you can kind of see, it's sort of heartbreaking in some cases. You can see where they did mean to do good things at the beginning, but you just watch them kind of break bad. They make compromise after compromise, and they just keep doing worse and worse things until they're completely immersed in this morass of uh, immorality.
1: Well, I mean, that's in, in the books, such great topics covered in. I noticed in one chapter, uh, you cover the anatomy riots where grave robbing was, I say, rampant. Is that, you know, like people were oh, yeah. taken yeah. to the streets? <laughs> and, and tell us a little more about that. Because I actually think I have listened to a true crime podcast about something similar to this, but I want to hear, obviously, want to hear your take on that. So, can you tell us a little more about that?
2: Yeah, and just in briefly, uh, there were a lot of doctors back in the 1700s and 1800s who needed bodies to study anatomy with. They needed to know how the human body was put together in order to help people and try to heal them. Unfortunately, there were societal taboos that prevented people from donating their bodies to medical schools. No one back then donated their bodies to science. It just was not done. So there was a huge shortage of bodies, and doctors started to associate with uh, some criminal elements in order to get those bodies. So either they would go and rob graves themselves. Or they would send people out, uh, gangs of people they called either resurrectionists or sack-em-up men, sometimes they called them. And they would send these people out into graves, and they would dig them up. In the book, I explain how they did it, how fast they could get in there, what they were looking for, all the details of how they did this. But the long and the short of it was that lots of people, their, their aunts, their children, their mothers, they were getting robbed and taken to these schools under cover of night to be dissected. And understandably, a lot of people were very mad about this. Even though the doctors had good intentions, they were trying to understand diseases, they were trying to help people, people didn't like having their bodies, their loved ones cut up like that. And eventually, in different cities around the United States, uh, people got so sick of it, they started rioting. They marched on hospitals. They attacked the doctors. They tried to burn them down in some cases. In the book, I focused mostly on a very uh, big riot that happened in New York in 1788. And Alexander Alexander Hamilton makes a cameo in it. It's just a wild, wild story. But it wasn't just New York. It happened all around the country in Baltimore, uh, St. Louis, New Haven. Lots of different cities experienced these anatomy riots. Well,
0: and you know, I'm always interested in a good old fashioned scientist feud. Um, mm-hmm. I have my feuds down to a minimum now, I think. So I think uh, looking. <laughs> what at about the ones f-
1: you're involved in?
0: Well, that's what I'm saying. Oh, I, yeah, uh, my, so you're my, managing my your own. My personal feuds are down to you know I'm down to about six or seven. Like but, on one hand, oh, two. Yeah, okay, hands that's good. Out. But <laughs> I'm really interested in the paleontologist feud. Um, that seemed like that got real ugly really fast. Uh, tell us about that <laughs> yeah. one.
2: Yeah. So this is one of the stories in the book that's a bit more lighthearted and fun. Um, Some of them, you know, can get into some sort of heavy territory. But in this case, it was between paleontologists. And the only thing that they hurt really was each other. They hurt each other's reputations, things like that. So this is a bit more of a madcap crime story, I would say. Uh, Essentially, there were two paleontologists, one named Marsh and one named Cope, who were based at East Coast institutions. They started off as friends, but as sometimes happened these friends turned on each other, became rivals, and they became the bitterest of enemies. And essentially when they started their work, uh, dinosaurs were kind of known, but they were sort of this obscure taxon of lizard. Nobody had really heard of them except a few specialists. But once Marsh and Cope got going, dinosaurs became one of the most famous animals in the history of Earth. The thing that every little kid runs to find in a museum, the first thing they want to see. A lot of that is because of Marsh and Cope. Uh, They discovered Triceratops and all these really iconic dinosaurs. What happened is basically the West at the time... Uh, Not a lot of paleontologists had been out there. And there were places where there were just bones lying on the ground, just gigantic femurs and pieces of spine and jaws just lying there for the taking. So they sent rival teams into the West, and they just started grabbing up all the bones they could. And they did have this rivalry where they were sort of like, they would go in and they would dynamite each other's campsites so that the other one <laughs> couldn't get bones they'd left behind, or they would oh, crush them underfoot. Or if they had made a marking on a trail so they would go back later, they would find it, the other one, and then erase the marking. Just all sorts of gastardly deeds that were pulling on each other. Um, but I really do think that in this case, the rivalry really pushed them to greater heights. It made them work harder than they probably would have otherwise. And again, dinosaurs became the iconic creatures that they are because of their longtime rivalry
1: who who ended up on top of that with, with that one? Do we know or was it just like a rivalry that?
2: I think, I think they both – they basically ruined each other's health because oh, they were so – yeah, I mean, they, they both died kind of young. Oh. They both died with essentially no money because they spent every oh. dime that came in on getting more bones and funding another expedition and things like that. In terms of science – Uh, The Marsh guy, he was at Yale. He Mm -hmm. ended up getting more dinosaurs, I think. Um, But Cope, the other one, had really what we would consider modern views about dinosaurs. And that marsh promoted the old idea that they were very plodding, slow creatures, uh, that the large ones had to be in water all the time because they were too heavy to even walk. It's sort of the picture that a lot of us got from uh, children's books when we were kids, that they were these big lumbering beasts. Whereas Cope always pushed the idea that dinosaurs were dynamic and fast. And that's kind of the new view Mm. of dinosaurs. So you could say that either one won in some ways or that they both kind of lost, which I think is probably the more accurate view.
0: Well, uh, so towards the end of the book, there is some real fascinating discussions about uh, potential future science crimes, especially those in space. That kind of captured my attention a little bit of like, you you kind of say, well, you know, let's say a crime happens on a Martian colony and you're seven months away from Earth. What do you do? What kind of Things, I mean, do you, you know, can you see as being potential issues that we'll have to deal with with (laughs) with space exploration?
2: Yeah, I mean, space is just such a dangerous place to be in, uh, in just period, that I think we'll have to think about just the environment and ways that people could, you know, potentially harm each other. Uh, This comes from a section of the book that I call the future of crime, which looks at, you know, genetic engineering, um, artificial intelligence, how that could do harm to people, basically ways that new technologies could allow us to commit brand new crimes in the future. And as you said, space exploration is one of the crime examples. So the colony on Mars example, uh, you know, human beings are human beings. There will be crime someday if we ever set up a colony there. So then what do we do? Do we just leave the prisoner there? That's not fair in some sense because food is very precious. Oxygen is very precious. And if this person's just sitting in a jail cell, they are wasting food and oxygen. Or do we sort of turn them out and let them wander on Mars in a spacesuit? I mean, that's sort of medieval, but then do we send someone all the way to Mars to get this person? That would cost billions of dollars. There aren't any good answers here, but it's something I think we really need to think through. We always think about the heroic side of science, but there is going to be inevitably this sort of turn for the dark side, I think, it's going to come up. And I think it's good we think about these things ahead of time and consider them because, again, we're going to have to face them sooner or later.
0: Well, this sounds like uh, I think a future novel. Let's collaborate, yeah. uh, space crimes. Okay. <laughs> and, uh You know, I'll provide the scientific uh, <clears throat> background, and uh, oh yeah, this would be fun. Because <laughs> yeah. it is—it's really hard to think about this stuff. Like to to imagine what that would be like.
2: Yeah. And I don't want to make it sort of, I mean, the, the the whole goal of it is very noble. And I think we're going to get a lot out of it. I don't mean for that to overshadow it. But again, these technologies, however powerful they are, they do have you know a side that people could take advantage of. So I just think it's something we want to think about. And hopefully the stories in the book can really... That help us understand what things to look for, the warning signs, the danger signs, because you see the same things pop up in story after story there. And I think hopefully if someone can read the book, maybe they'll have a better understanding of where we might be going in the future too.
0: Well, it's a great read. We really appreciate you taking the time and talking about this and these uh, so many cool, uh, amazing and mind-blowing stories about these scientists not behaving as great as they could, and in some <laughs> cases, way worse than that. Sam, thanks so much for talking with us today.
2: Well, thanks for having me.
0: We want to really thank Sam Keane for joining us today. He is the author of the new book, The Ice-Pick Surgeon, Murder, Fraud, Sabotage, Piracy, and Other Dastardly Deeds Perpetuated in the Name of Science. You can find out more about his book on our website, wvxuorg slash lookingup.
1: All right, keeping with science crimes, we have one that we'll say hits a little close to home maybe, or does it? Fact or fiction, there's a rumor, I've heard, that somebody once stole the lens of our telescope at the observatory. True, false, fact, fiction, what was the deal, Dean?
0: Yes, this is a... Common question we get, and it is oh, fiction. Oh. The lens of the Cincinnati Observatory Telescope has not been stolen to our notice. Uh, yeah, we to, would notice as it As far gone. as we know, it has not been stolen and right. replaced by a fake or uh, replaced by something else or stolen in return. Uh-huh. However, our uh, neighbors, the uh, Cincinnati Astronomical Society, the... Uh, uh, Astronomy Club oh. on the west side of Cincinnati did mm-hmm. have their historic lens stolen right from their telescope.
1: Are you serious? Yes. Just the lens? Like, okay, absolutely
0: sorry. true. So the oh, most no. important part about the telescopes are the lenses. And right. so the lenses make everything else work. And so uh, their telescope is almost as old as ours. I believe it was like 1850s era, 1860s okay. era and uh the one of uh, the the story that i heard was from one of our observatory members mm-hmm. who uh who came and found it missing so he goes into the the observatory he turns the lights on he looks at the scope everything looks fine and mm-hmm. he flips it over to take the cap off and when he do- did the whole telescope just <gasps> went right over one side to the other because all that weight of the lens was wasn't gone wasn't there and so, oh I just can't imagine the feeling of how, what he must have thought when he that happened. Like what? So, yeah, the lens is gone. They don't Telescope know who took useless. it. They don't know who took it. Yeah. They can't. There's no evidence left behind. There's nothing.
1: To, Was there like security? Mean, well, you might wonder if there's like security and stuff. But I mean, did the what? What happened? So I'm like on the edge of my well, seat here. Uh, they had some
0: suspects, but Whoa, they couldn't figure they really? out. Well, only so many people had keys to the building and so many people yeah. had this. But there was still a decently long list and it could have been a friend of a friend. It could have been somebody broke yeah. in. They're not sure. So uh, the FBI gets involved. Uh, this is this is one of those stories oh where, you know, don't mess with astronomers. Clearly don't touch not. The telescopes because these lenses are so unique and so uh, identifiable that you can – You'd, you're gonna track them down eventually
1: what would you even do with it if you had that I don't understand the value of it yes. by itself or my to is something well
0: like the criminal mastermind here slipped up finally uh, over a decade really? later a uh, decade he'd kept it for a long time uh, and 19 years till he was actually arrested from the time that it was stolen uh, till he was arrested 19 years later and he was found out because he Tried to use the lens to get a job at a university. He said, "Oh, I got this lens. Uh, we can put it in a telescope, and we can start a program there." And uh, well, people, what? It's it's a okay. very strange thing. It's yeah, very th- strange. But he uh, kept it uh, in his room a lot of the time <laughs> for this 19 years. Sometimes under the bed. Sometimes, you know, never used. And uh-huh. they finally tracked him down. Uh, brought him to justice. The telescope lens was returned, uh, and so it was back in uh, in uh, Cincinnati Astronomical Society has it back. So that's we, crazy. It is crazy. Did and, he go to jail? Uh, I don't know. I don't think he did. I think he. I think there was something. Yeah, something was extenuating circumstances, oh but my he didn't get the job. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I'll tell you that.
1: She brought it back to – he did not get the job that he actually had been arrested for – Oh my! or or found out. That's crazy. Yes. But no one's touched our scope. Our Nobody's touched our
0: scope that uh, as far as we know, the lenses that we have are the same lenses brought over from Munich uh, in 1845. So Don't even try it. Dean will cut you down. Oh, I know what that (laughs) lens looks like in my sleep. any lens that's out there I'll find it
1: (laughs) a very specific type of detective work (laughs) just don't find that lens that's
0: right oh my god lens the lens detector no what do (laughs) I don't know (laughs) glass glass feeler (laughs) that's
1: that's, wait a minute (laughs) we'll work on it way worse anyway point is don't mess with don't mess with the lenses that's right leave them alone well that's it for this episode of Looking Up our thanks again to Sam Keen for joining us You can find out how to order his new book, The Ice-Pick Surgeon, by visiting wvxu.org slash looking up.
0: Wherever you get your podcasts, you'll find us there. If that happens to be Apple Podcasts, your rating and comments will help others find us. So thanks for helping out. And if you like what you hear,
1: spread the word. We'd love to hear your ideas for guests or topics or what Dean should call himself if he does decide to be a specific kind of detective looking for lenses, find us on Facebook or Twitter or email us at lookingup at wvxu.org. Our theme song and additional music is by Y. That's W-H-Y question mark from their album Moline, courtesy of Joyful Noise Recordings and Terror Bird Media.
0: Looking Up is a production of Cincinnati Public Radio. We're produced, recorded, and edited by Josh Elstro. Jim Nolan provides additional
1: web assistance. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Anna Heeman. And I'm Dean Regas. Keep looking up.